Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. This is episode number 159, November 2021. This is our third and final 2021 play reading with the theme of pets. The play is Jokers in the Pack. The playwright is Tony Vale. We will have a chat with Tony immediately following the play reading. Cast of characters begins with Hayden. He is an ex-search and rescue dog, a pointer. He'll be played by Kerry Freighter. Next up is Iris, an ex-guide dog. She is a Labrador and played by Georgette Vale. Rounding out the cast is Jock, a border collie, an ex-sheepdog, played by Alistair Cheatham. The setting is a free-run field for dogs. Hello. Oh, please don't sniff me. Oh, I wasn't going to. Um, nothing personal. I, I just don't like other dogs invading my space. Oh, no problem. Are you okay? Why shouldn't I be? Well, it's just that when dogs get in here, they like to run around and you... I've been um... stood here for however long, yes, I know. Is that a problem? Oh, none whatsoever. Is this your first time here? What makes you say that? Well, it's just that it's uh, a strangely liberating... I'll re-say that again. It's just that it's uh, a strangely liberating experience and not every dog can handle it. Why all the questions? Are you a police dog? Do I look like one? Well, they're usually German shepherds and you're a... A pointer. Yes, I thought that's what you were. <laughs> well, to answer your question, I'm not a police dog, but I've worked with a lot. Can't mistake a golden retriever. Well done, you. <sighs> oh, would you rather be left on your own? Oh, I'm not sure what I want. Would it help to talk about it? Have you got two hours? Oh, I, I'm not in any hurry. My owner is having a coffee in the cafe. Oh, is, is that what's troubling you? A change of owner? Oh, oh, sorry, that's probably a question too many. I, I didn't mean... It was a valid question. It's not only a new owner I'm having to deal with. It's a whole new way of life. Oh, are you a working dog? An assistance dog, perhaps? What makes you say that? Oh, I can imagine that you'd be a hit with um, most humans. I used to be a guide dog. <laughs> Touch me. Oh, I won't. Look, look, I'm rooted to this spot. <laughs> you look like a statue. <laughs> well, it comes in handy sometime. I am a pointer, after all. You look ridiculous. Can I move? Oh, as long as I don't touch you. Of course you can move. Are you sure? Oh, you're making me feel like a bitch. Oh, a very attractive one, uh, if you don't mind me saying. Now you're making me blush. What's your name? Uh, Hayden. Oh, that's an unusual name for a dog. Well, I'm not proud of it. Um, and yours? Iris. Oh, a flower. Oh, I should have known, and very appropriate for a guide dog. It's not something to joke about. Oh, it wasn't meant to be a joke. I happen to think Iris is a lovely name. Iris was the goddess of the rainbow. 
And I used to tell all my guide dog friends that Iris is the I in Rainbow. What did I say to offend you? I don't want to fall into the trap of doing it again. Uh, I used to be a guide dog, but I had to give it up because, because I started to lose my eyesight. There, go on now, you can have a good laugh because everyone else does. I don't think it's funny. How long had you been doing it? Almost eight years. Not bad innings for a working guide dog. Do you miss it? I didn't realise how much until I came here. Well, being alone, you mean? Not being needed. I know everything. Not being needed. I know every dog owner will say how much they need their canine companion, but for mine, I, I, I was the key to her independence, her ability to do her job. C can you understand that? Oh, more than you can know. Well, what do you mean? Oh, uh, I was useful once. Are you working? Not now. Oh no, what have I said? No, no, it's okay. I've come to terms with it now. Time is a healer. But I'll never really get over it. We, we don't have to talk about it if you'd rather not. <laughs> That's your assistant's dog instinct kicking in, is it? Well, I suppose it must be. Oh, well, you Steph. Well, you've definitely still got it. It's the self-doubt that's the hardest to cope with. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a nosy bitch. What job did you used to do? Oh, um... Uh, search and rescue. Great job for a pointer. Well, I've heard it before. It wasn't funny the first time. Oh, sorry. What, what happened? Um, uh, I went on a mission one day, and I didn't come back for over a week. On purpose? You're the first to ask that question. A logical one, I would have thought. You didn't ask me whether I got lost, as in I couldn't remember how to get back to base. So you decided to lose yourself, or perhaps get lost within yourself? <laughs> Both, probably. Well, it's a very stressful job. Lives can depend upon it. Just like yours. Well, it can be. Although my day was always planned for me. I've always admired guide dogs. Oh, yeah? Well, you're not one of the moaning brigade who think we lead a charmed life, being able to go into cafes and shops. Well, you're there for a purpose, aren't you? Well, no one seems to understand that. And you have to put up with all that prodding and poking from the public when you're out. If I'm in harness, I'm working, so don't make a fuss of me, because it annoys the shit out of my owner. But all that information you have to retain, where the bus stops are, uh, and the railway station, you know, stuff like that. 
all I have to do is to look for surprises on the way, like holes in the pavement and steer my owner around them. Mind you, not everyone realises that. My owner ones are some of my directions. Doesn't bit my ear. <laughs> <laughs> what really? <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> well, you might be interested in a group uh, that I'm involved with. Um, it's called Canine Support. Oh, why? Uh, well, because it was set up to help dogs like you and me. Who feel sorry for themselves. No, quite the opposite, actually. It's to provide peer support for canines who are coming to terms with some kind of crisis or trauma in their lives. Well, having the strength of others can be really helpful. Before I became visually impaired, I used to say that my fellow guide dogs and I were in the Rainbow Club. Oh, I've never heard of it. Well, you wouldn't have. Doesn't exist. Iris is the eye in rainbow, remember? Guide dogs with names beginning with other letters in rainbow just automatically become members of the Rainbow Club. <laughs> seven names, seven members. Oh, that's about the same with our group. Well, give or take. There's one of our members over there. Where? The Border Collie. He's called Jock. Oh, he's coming over. Oh, oh, oh. Hi, ain't there, my old mate? <laughs> Who's this little beauty? You sly dog. Well, hi, Jock. Ooh, say hello to Iris. Ooh, and no sniffing or touching. Is she likely to? I meant you, Jock. I know what you're like when it comes to engaging with the opposite um, sex. Mark at you. <laughs> I've only been here a few seconds. You mentioned touching, sniffing and sex in that time. Oh, I'm sorry, Iris. He's always like this. It's all right. Hello, Jock. Pleased to meet you. It, it's just that I've got this thing about personal space. It's no offence meant. None taken. If I was good at taking offence, my owner wouldn't trust me off the lead in here. <sighs> Hayden was telling me that you're a member of Canine Support. Was he now? That's confidential information. I was only trying I know it was your idea to set it up and you've always been on the lookout for waves and strays. Oh, is that why you came over to talk to me? Well, sort of. But it wasn't just about recruiting you as a canine support member. Oh, and I thought you were genuinely interested in me. I was. I am. Oh, Chuck, see what you've done. What I've done? I just came over here to say hi to my best mate and you throw this shit at me. Who were you calling shit? I wasn't calling you shit. It's the baggage that goes with the canine support group I was talking about. I'm a member of it, yes, but it doesn't mean that I want to broadcast it around this bloody field. I can understand that. Chuck, oh, mate. Hayden, why don't you bugger off on your hundred run and leave me to have a chat with Iris? I'm bound to get more sense out of her than you. Well, I didn't mean to... Go on, sod off. Will you do the counting for me? Oh, can't you do your own counting for once? Yes, but you do it so much better than me. All right, then. Off you go. One, two, 
Oh, that's great. Thanks, mate. Three, four, five, six. Uh, that'll do. Well, aren't you going to keep counting? He wants me to count to 100. So? I never learnt to count beyond 10. Well, he just needs to know that he can get from here to the other side of the field in the time it takes to count to 100. Who am I to deny him that? You mean cheat? I wouldn't put it quite like that. It keeps him happy. Can I ask you a question about canine support group? If you must. What caused you to join? Well, it's in my acceptance statement, so I might as well tell you. What's an acceptance statement? It's how we start every meeting. Name, breed and why we joined. <clears throat> I'm Jock, I'm a Border Collie and I used to be a sheepdog. Were you really a sheepdog? OK, let's have the one-liner. I've heard most of them. No, I wasn't going to make a joke of it. I, I really wasn't. You weren't. Most do. What, why did you give it up? I had no choice. Because you can't count? Look, if you must know, I'm allergic to sheep, or more especially, to wool. How did you find out? I was always a bit breathless when herding the dopey sods, but I put that down to being unfit. It's hard work moving them around, you know. Oh, I can imagine. Most dogs are tempted to worry sheep. In my case, it were them that worried me. And that's why you joined canine support? Well, help me come to terms with the feeling of failure. That's where I met Hayden. I think we've been mates ever since. He's a nice chap. What caused him to go missing? He told you about that? Why wouldn't he? You're privileged. He never talks about it outside of meetings. Well, he said he wasn't proud of his name. What did he mean by that? His owner's family name is Seek. When he started the search and rescue training, they nicknamed him Hide and Seek. That's why they called him Hayden. <laughs> when he went missing, it was assumed it's because he'd lost his sense of direction. He was never trusted after that. And the name reminds him of the job that he can never do again? I guess so. And my name's Iris, and I used to be a guide dog until I started to lose my eyesight. It's just so hard to come to terms with it. Is that why you want to be a member of Canine Support? Well, I did, didn't say I did. Hey, hey up. Aidan's on his way back. 97, 98, 99. <laughs> Just made it. 100. Well done, mate. Yes, well done, you. Oh, thanks. Oh, I hope Jock has been behaving himself. He's been the perfect canine companion. Will we be seeing you again? Well, I'll certainly be coming back. It's nice here. I said she's welcome to become a member of canine support anytime she likes. Well, I, I never said that... Oh, that's great! Well... We'll introduce you to a few more members the next time you're up here, before you make a decision. Oh, I'd like that. <laughs> Come on, Jock, how about a session on the agility gear? Must we? Oh, come on, you love it. You know you do. Yeah, right.
<laughs> Hope to see you again soon. Iris. Thank you. I'll, I'll look forward to it. And that was Jokers in the Pack by playwright Tony Vale. Cast of characters was Hayden, played by Kerry Freighter. Iris was played by George Ed Vale. And Jock was played by Alistair Cheatham. Tony was kind enough to give us a few moments of his time to talk about his work and his ultimate play about humans' best friends. How did this come about and why these three particular dogs? Because I like all of them. Well, the, the answer to where, how did it come about was actually there was a news story not so long ago locally um, where a rescue dog needs to be rescued. Um, in fact, it disappeared for about a week and um, the search and rescue team under which it was working actually then had to put resources into trying to find the dog. Um, so that's kind of started me thinking, um, I wonder why the dog went missing and kind of what happened when he was out there because he turned up and he seemed okay. So he'd obviously managed to look after himself uh, and it looked as if it was almost intentional. And then that caused me to think that actually this is a good example of um, somebody in a certain profession mm -hmm. um, not coming up to scratch or, or, or failing in some way. And I thought, well, what other dog might fail? Um, which, uh, and then I added another two characters uh, who had got a history of not being able to perform their professional duties, if you know what I mean. Sure. When you say intentional, and, intentional on the dog's part to, to, to take a walk or? Well, another thing really was that the venue um, is, is actually quite close to me in the sense that um, uh, two or three years ago, a farmer on the edge of town decided to set up a, a, a mini industrial estate for dogs. Uh, with all sorts of um, businesses that, that like dog grooming and dog training. Um, and they had a nice cafe, which were dog friendly and so forth. Um, and one of the things they had was an open field, which was fenced off to allow dogs to, to go out um, without a lead. Right. And um, I'd always said uh, our family, my wife's family has always owned dogs um, and you know the dog was always at the end of the lead and I thought how restricting that must be for the dog not to be able to have conversations with other dogs when the owners are listening in you know <laughs> so the idea of these dogs being able to free reign or free run meant that they could engage with any canine they wanted to and and have all sorts of conversations and um, so that aspect of it, coupled with the kind of characters and, and where they're coming from, perhaps feeling a lack of self-esteem and so on. So they had certain uh, opportunities for, for mutual support. And, and I gave them that. I gave them an organisation uh, that um, would be mutually supportive. And that was kind of um, background to, to the play. Yeah, because I kept wondering about Iris. And yes, well, I am involved with um, a, a talking newspaper organization that, that, mm -hmm. that we put local news and information on um, audio and we send it out to visually impaired people. 
And uh, I've been doing that with just coming round to um, almost to the day, 24 years, um, our service has been launched. Wow. So, um, and my wife works professionally with people with visual and um, sensory impairments. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea of the, um, the guide dog, not as something to pat um, and to, um, you know, make a fuss of, but actually right. from a, professional standpoint as to their significance to the dog the the guide dog owner um who for them it's um, a means of mobility so i was um aware of um the relationship between a guide dog and the guide dog owner and more especially the guide dog having a responsibility towards their owner so yeah. that puts the pressure on even more um to this um um uh, guide dog and uh, the irony was the reason why she iris couldn't work was because she was getting um she had failing eyesight so it was uh, the biggest irony of uh, of all really yeah yeah that that did not no pun intended did not see that coming um but once i did see it and i, I read it it made absolute perfect sense and the relationship between the three dogs was was there all the way from from the first couple of lines, but all of a sudden that just kind of tied the knot on it, so to speak. It was, it was all of a sudden these three dogs are now a, a, a subset of their own, and it brought them closer. I thought it was, it was a really really nice point. Yeah, I also I, wanted to highlight the relationship between um, Jock, the um, border collie, and and the and and um, Hayden, the, the 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 dog that was a search and rescue dog, because they they obviously knew each other before that, and um, uh, they had a a particular relationship um, which was mutually supportive. Sure, yeah, it's it's nice because those three dogs represent the best in what we should be. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, I, I I gotta admit it's when I first started reading this. And the first couple of lines were, hello, and Iris comes back with, please don't sniff me. <laughs> and I thought, how else am I going to say hello? How else am I going to know who you are? Because that's how dogs, I guess, figure out who it is they're dealing with. They, they grab the scent. It's, it's not like checking an ID. It's more like hanging out with with another human being for a period of time until you get the gist of who they are. But I've I've never met a dog that doesn't sniff, you know, just to find out what what things are. And when Iris said, "Please don't sniff me," that immediately focused all of my attention on her. And not to put this in a derogatory way, but it was like, "What is her problem?" And it's obviously one of, uh, first I thought, dignity and privacy. So, yeah, she kind of had me from the get-go on this. And for me, the play was watching the other two dogs discover who she was and see what their reactions to her would uh, would have been. So, yeah, that was... Please don't... I'm, I think I'm going to use that line when I meet new people for the first time. Please don't sniff me. The, the, as a writer yourself, you'll know that sometimes when you write something, 
you realize afterwards that it has more significance than you thought when you wrote it. Um, and I, um, I post occasionally on a, a Facebook page, uh, which is um, involving visually impaired people. Um, and I put the note out there saying, um, do, do you happen to have a guide dog called Iris? And, and actually, I know one locally. Mm -hmm. And somebody came, came back and said that, that they did. But um, they also said, unfortunately, she's gone over the Rainbow Bridge. Ah. And I hadn't really picked up on that phrase in the sense of the dog going, you know, into canine heaven, as it were. And, um, and, and the, 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 the point about Iris being the I in the word rainbow um, was... Um, was something that occurred to me initially, but it didn't actually resonate um, in the way that it came across. Um, you know, obviously, um, from somebody who was was missing their equivalent of, of Iris. Sure. Yeah. It was. It's. I was just going to say it's a very human story, but it's a very natural story. It's. A, it's. It's a very generous and kind story, and I think that's one of the things that. I liked about it so much. Well done, Tony. Um, you were you just mentioned a couple of times about working for the visually impaired and, and the talking newspaper, um, and you also mentioned that your wife Georgette um, donates her time as well to good causes, um, helping out other people, which I I really wish more people in this world would do. At least take a few more minutes every week and just look at somebody else and, and do something to help them out. We'd be so much farther along than we are. Um, let's, let's talk about this for a little bit because I, I, I find it a, a really lovely thing to do. How long have you been working with this talking newspaper? And tell me about some of the other, other activities that, that you're involved with as far as community service. Well, the talking newspaper was a kind of a hobby, really. Um, I um, fell into the world of that in the mid 80s, actually. Um, I was living elsewhere and uh, the local Rotary group wanted to set up a talking newspaper service. There's, there was one in two bigger towns either side of us. I went along and explained that I was in, had been involved in hospital radio um, and also I edited um, a print um, village newsletter and they said oh that sounds good combination of sound and words um, you know we'll make you the editor and so in um, 1983 I started with a blank cassette we were talking about cassettes in those days oh my gosh, yeah. and uh, we came up with a, a service um, until my wife and I um, left that town that was about seven or eight years and the service was running. We then moved to another one where there was a, another organization which I got uh, involved in in a slightly different way. And then we moved again and came here um, in Norfolk, UK. And uh, there, there was a gap in the market, as it were, that there were eight zones uh, where there could be talking newspapers and only seven talking newspapers. So it was almost destined that we were going to um, set one up. So we, we got here in the March, we had a meeting in the September, and by the following April, we'd got enough money to go um, and launch. And um, that was on the 10th of April, 1998. 
the day that the Good Friday Agreement was signed. Um, oh. So that was a historical moment um, yeah. in Northern Ireland. Um, and it was an it was Easter. It was good. Uh, well, I say Good Friday. It was Easter. So um, and here we are. We are recording this uh, conversation as we head towards Good Friday, just a few days away, uh, oh, oddly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the talking newspaper um, background. Um, my other, my professional involvement, I started life as an insurance person and did that for 30 years, uh, sorry, 18 years, and then joined a, a, a charity called Age Concern, who were very much about older people and promoting the positive side of aging. And they got into this service provision. So I, um, kind of jump ship from the commercial world as I saw it to the community world of um, of that particular field, and that got me introduced to the world of care homes and particularly older people in care homes, yeah. and that's been the inspiration of um, some of my other playwriting work as well. And I'm very pleased to say that you and I were able to work on a particular piece, um, which. Um, has actually had a wide audience, a wider audience. The local BBC radio station picked it up under their upload programme and um, it, it was actually broadcast. Um, one of my ambitions as a playwright has been to get one of my plays on BBC radio and um, albeit the national one. But <laughs> I've managed to sneak in on on the on the local card, as it were, but but those um, elements of involvement uh, professionally um, around, um, if you like, community connected roles, mm -hmm. then spilled into um, home. Um, one of the um, involvements I had was working for a national company that um, has. Um, a number of care homes for older people. Um, they were looking for somebody to come up with some ideas for activities that they could share with the activity person in each of their homes. So I um, put together a program uh, of different kinds of activities involving um, elements of the outside world, um, you know, young people, um, um, people involved in different organizations uh, and so on. And um, one of the ideas I came up with uh, was a theme day called Lemon Day. Lemon is a color, is a flavor, is a fruit. So it has, it's got a currency which can um, transcend different elements. You know, if you have lemon as a flavor, it's a food. If you have lemon as a fruit, it's a um, a healthy um, food item and it's a five-a-day fruit and and so on and and actually as a color um, you can wear any color that's yellow and um, you know so in, in other words in a care home setting it meant that people who were directly looking after residents people who were working in the garden bringing in flowers that were yellow um, people who were setting up the dining table uh, with yellow um, uh, napkins and and the um, chef or cook in the kitchen comes out with a with a, a lemon lemon cake so so it was um, a way to bring 
the community of the care home together. And actually, it seemed to be a good model to go out uh, into the wider community. So Wyndham mm -hmm. in Norfolk, UK, has a lemon day and has had for the last 11 years. That's amazing. It's, I've been familiar with lemons all my life. And they never really had significance for me until a very, very dear friend of mine, a person who I love very much, um, came down with uh, bladder cancer a number of years ago. And they were going for treatment at the doctor's office. And the treatment, the, the chemical that they were putting inside of them had been rationed and was no longer available and well it was it was it was down in stocks from plentiful to to almost nil because the company had decided that it wasn't uh, viable cost effective to make it and this left this person in in a, a very tenuous situation but they found out through advice from holistic uh, uh, doctors and authorities that lemon juice okay taken daily Right, with water by street, whatever happens to be, actually does an amazing job of counteracting the cancer. And this person has been free of the disease for a number of years. So lemons are indeed lifesavers. So yes, you're using it as 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 the symbol of, of, and the language of your event. Yeah, that's a um, good choice. And life-saving as well in terms of uh, de deliberately chose the, the winter months for, the, for this lemon day. In fact, the, the, the weekend after the, uh, the um, clocks go back so that it, it gets dark, we lose the daylight. And actually putting on a lemon or yellow fluorescent jacket, um, if you're out, you know, on your bicycle or taking a dog for a walk it is actually a lifesaver sure. because um you know people who don't have that are at much more risk of being um of injury so so it kind of depends how you look at it the local football team local as in norwich city um they're just about to to go down the league we think but um, they play in yellow and green so um 26,000 of their fans meet up, um, you know, um, every other Saturday, and that becomes their lemon day. Yeah. Um, because um, that everybody, you know, what connects them is, is that shirt, and they come from all, you know, areas of life and, and community. Um, but together, um, it brings them together. So, so I think it's an interesting metaphor in terms of, um, you know how how we connect with each other and how we connect with the community there has to be some um common thread really yeah and it's amazing that the symbols that we we pick subconsciously or consciously uh to use as our connectors to other people speaking of subconscious i want i want to go back to something you touched on earlier in the interview and it was about a line uh, that you wrote that you realized later had more significance than 
you originally thought when you scribbled it down. And I think a lot of us as writers, we do the same thing. We, we try and write with the main thread in our heads, putting it down on paper, making it all go from A to Z, logically, clearly, and we try to be as objective as possible. But many of us look at what we've written later and go, oh my gosh, did I write that? I didn't know I was writing that when I wrote that. Um, and I think there's a lot more at work in the background than a lot of us are aware of when we're doing this. I know personally, when I get into the zone, it's a very, very, very special place for me. And who knows what comes spilling out onto the page. Uh, thank God the police and the psychiatrist can't see it. But um, have you found that to be typical or, or, or part of your writing where you, you look back at something you've written and you go, there was a lot more meaning now than there was when I wrote it? What happened? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes that comes out of conversation, actually, if, um, if we're fortunate enough to get our plays read, um, and then they start becoming a talking point. Um, sometimes people will say to you, oh, that character, was he or she this, or was the intention that? And, and you know, as the writer, and, and certainly having written it a while ago, you're then slightly put on the spot um, because um, we're supposed to know all these answers, aren't we? Um, we don't. But we don't. And uh, um, this business of um, somebody's backstory, you know, and how much of that canvas we need as writers before we even start to write, yeah. because something in our head that we know and we know the audience probably needs to know mm -hmm. you, you know we, we we don't necessarily want to make it so obvious so um there have certainly been occasions um and there's there was one particular line i remember which was a joke i wrote it as a joke and um in my head but actually somebody had taken it to be a naughty joke and um, it was only when it was pointed out that if you looked at it in a slightly different way, um, it, it, it could have come across as being naughtier than it was intended to be, if you know what I mean. So I sure, kind yeah. of inno innocently strayed into an area that I would otherwise avoid. The subconscious but, um, I, I think the real um, thing for me, though, as a playwright, uh, one of my <laughs> other ambitions is to actually write a line that... Um, that becomes comes into parlance, you know, regular parlance. Sure. And um, my wife, who um, I met when she was um, involved in amateur dramatics and has been ever since. So I say I, I married into amateur theatre. Um, she occasionally uses a line which I wrote um, uh, on the basis of a character who was um, um, they were talking about somebody else uh, and said oh um he's um he's a he's a secret agent i think and um and uh, the, the other person said how, how do you know that i said well it, it must be a secret it was the word secret i hadn't quite got the uh, the memory sure. sorry 
it's a bad story told, but um, or a good story told badly, I should say. But um, the point was that um, in certain conversations, um, Georgette will come out with this line, and I think, yeah, that was you know that was good to have that uh, out there. I don't know whether in four hundred years anything that um, we've written, um, George, will survive as some. Um, Shakespeare's has, but uh, we, nice we can only hope, can't we? <laughs> you, you briefly mentioned talking about um, when audience members come up and ask you about your own work, and it's a question that you don't really know the answer to. And that happens, spoiler alert for everybody out there who's not a writer type, uh, that happens more than you'd think. You get people coming up after the play going... Asking, so what was Jane's uh, Jane's motivation when it came to you know climbing the mountain was highly symbolic of uh, uh, whatever, and I realized they're talking about something in the play. Then they ask me either what the motivation was or the symbolism was, and I find myself with a complete blank slate because a lot of subconscious stuff comes out into the play that never really enters into my fully conscious mind, and that's the joy of writing. And I find myself looking at this person and they want an answer. And they think you have all the answers because you, you're, the, you're the god of this world. You've created this world. You should know everything. And it's not always true. And my usual response is, I was wondering if you were somebody was going to pick up on that. Can you tell me more about how it made you feel and what was going on? Because now I'm learning about my own work, which I find really thrilling sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I, the one aspect really um, that sticks in my mind uh, in this situation is actually um, a conversation with uh, an actor after the performance, because um, you know, we, we like to think that the actors take full responsibility for their characters and mm -hmm inhabit them and and so on and it's always going to be down to the individual as to whether or as to how much they do of that but it was in fairly early days um and um we we gave the this particular actor a lift home so we we had an opportunity to chat about the um the play but more especially the character that um she played and um she was asking me questions about the um the uh the nature of the character and 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 that was that situation of, of having to um try and answer it but what i what i came away with was the the amazing thing that you know, as, as writers, we have a character in our head, we have a vision of what they look and sound like, and, and then we try to put that down on paper. We don't always describe it. it it's through the action, through the conversation, through the um, interaction with the other characters. And you think, you know, it's sort of in my head, it's on the page, and then the actors picked this up and then inhabited it and, and, and so on. And um, this particular conversation was, you know, such a, I was so pleased in a way that the character had had obviously enough depth that the actor felt that they they knew more about 
that character than I'd perhaps um, imagined for, for myself, you know. So, um, but in terms of um, motivation and, and so on, um, I, I don't actually like being in the room when my plays are being rehearsed. Uh, a lot of um, plays that uh, I've written have actually been in front of an audience because we self-produced them mm -hmm. um, with other writers. But um, the idea of being so close to the action, and particularly, and I don't um, really want to get into a situation of directing my own work, um, because, um, you know, sometimes it's really down to you to, to come up with the decisions um, when questions are lobbed at you that you really don't have the answers to so um, if the script's in the hand of a, a hands of a director uh, they presumably if they're not too sure about things um, and feel they need to um, check it out then there's always a conversation to be had but equally right. if they make a decision and they take a particular line then you know that's um, that's how it's got to be yeah now I'm, I'm i'm with you when it comes to being in rehearsal rooms i when somebody's rehearsing my work and it goes on for multiple rehearsals i will check in on the first day and i will check in towards the end and i will keep an open dialogue with the director who is my conduit to what is happening um and i base that on the assumption that i have chosen a director who likes the play is capable of working with the play and knows what he or she is doing. Um, so I put all my trust there and I work with the director on that. I answer questions, I cut lines, I add lines, I may, you know, what, whatever seems to be clanking during the rehearsal is addressed to me. Uh, for a reading though, that's different. I'll sit in the corner while the whole table goes through it and I'll make notes and I'll keep my mouth completely shut. Um, only because I don't want to be the playwright in the room. I, you know, it's, you, whether or not you keep quiet, whether or not you blend in with the background, everybody knows you're there. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's inhibiting to the actors to have daddy sitting in the back of the room wondering what you're doing with, you know, his baby. Um, and I find I learn a lot more when the director and the actors are allowed to play, experiment, and do their art. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't hang on to every word going, you pronounced that wrong. Um, it's, it's a, it's a free, more freeing experience, I think, for everybody involved. Yeah, it's only happened to me a couple of times, actually, where I've been able to turn up and... Um, come into the room as an audience member and then have have the the play unfold in front of me you know mm -hmm. um and it's i much prefer that actually and and uh, i have written a play where the theme is that some the writer goes to see their play being performed uh, and that, and he has a particular reason for that and um, so that kind of idea of the writer in the room i thought was is was worth pursuing um as a as a topic element um, or as a theme element uh, within its own play if you know what i mean yeah and, and and actually i've played around i don't know if you've done this but um 
some people will ask you, well, you know, where do you get your ideas from, and uh, um, how do you, how do you, how do you start? Yeah. And I thought, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll experiment with that. I'll, I'll start with a somewhere. It will be a bench somewhere, and and the writer is sitting on the bench, and then something's going to happen, and and I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, oh, there's a there's an elderly lady coming uh, up. Oh, okay, yes. Writer gets in conversation with elderly lady and say, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm writing a play. Are you? Oh, you haven't got any, you know, um, notepad or computer. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm still writing it. Who's in it? Oh, you are. Am I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then through this sort of combination of, of, of information and, oh, well, you were, I noticed, uh, are you 83? I'm 84 next week, actually. Oh, are you? Oh, um, and my, oh, your birthday's in June. So you're called June. Yes, I am. And, you know, so it, it kind of develops in that way. And then the character kind of takes over and um, describes herself as the main character. And the writer says, well, I think actually the writer might be a bit more prominent in this one than they normally are. But um, so it was quite fun in its way, but it was almost a sort of um, uh, technical exercise to say, how does one, you know, construct a play, as it were, um, when the live elements, you, you, you start with some and then they start take, t making their own decision. You know? They do, and that's the right. fun part for me. I like watching my characters come up with lines I had no idea they were going to say, and then I have to look at them and go, now I have to deal with you. Hmm. Well, there Tony you Mel, this has been a thrill talking to you, as it always is, sir. You're, you're a pleasure. Thank you so much for a wonderful play, Jokers in the Pack. Yeah, and well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you. <laughs>